Today we are back in our study called Rest in Peace, a practical plan to have peace. We started last week. We're going to continue this week, and we'll have at least one more week, one more message after this. I'll probably just go ahead and tell you maybe two more uh, after this. Uh, But we're moving through our study, Rest in Peace, a practical plan for peace. Well, today as we start, I want us to think about what would a day without peace look like? What would be the symptoms of a day that is absent of peace, that is missing peace? Now, I'm not necessarily talking about world peace or peace on a broad scope or spectrum, but I'm talking about in our lives, in our personal peace. What would be the symptoms of a day without peace. Now, we can make a list this morning. If you have no peace, if you had no settled peace, there would be worry in your life, and you would be consumed with worry. You do not have peace, and so you worry about the things that are coming up. You're worried about the things that have already happened. You would be filled with worry. If you had no peace, you'd be filled with with anxiety. Anxiety would stir in your heart. If there were a day without peace, you would be marked by anxiousness in the, in the search for peace. How do, how do we have it and where do we find and where do we get it? Your life would be marked by anxiousness. In the absence of peace, eventually you'd find yourself at hopelessness. Hopelessness. And then And and the result of the hopelessness, you might find yourself in depression. And there would be a sense of despair in your life, a sense of overwhelming sadness in your life. There is no peace, and we're not able to find peace, and so I find myself depressed in life. If your day were marked with the absence of peace, it would be marked by hedonism, materialism. In the absence of peace, we know we try to feel the void in our life with something else and we have no peace and so we think, you know what, I'll find a house in a better neighborhood or I'll find a different car or a new car or I'll get these clothes or we'll take these vacations or accumulate this stuff and all of it is trying to fill a void in your life. You become driven by things and experiences. In the absence of peace, we would see anger and division. And the the absence of peace and hope would cause some to strike out against others, to blame others, to seek to hurt others. And the, the angst of our souls in the absence of peace would show up in how we treated others, how we valued others. And our culture in the absence of peace would boil over in anger and rage and division. In the absence of peace, we would try and find ways to calm ourselves or maybe fool our minds into believing we have peace. We we do not have it, and so we would try to find a way to, to give the appearance that we do. Maybe we would drink in excess. Maybe we would take certain drugs, either legal or illegal, to try to calm our minds, to mimic peace in our life. Or maybe we would sit and we would stare at screens and have a false reality as it passes by and and hours would go by and we would pretend that somehow this is real life and here we have peace. 
I could go on and on this morning, probably for quite a while. But did you hear that list? Friends, our world today is absent of peace. Do you know that? Our world, that is our day that I just described. We are absent of peace. I want to tell you, sadly, many of us today, many even in the church, are missing peace today. Well, friends, I want to tell you the good news is this. Jesus not only has the remedy, he is the remedy. And I want to tell you the good news today is this. You can have peace today. Well, don't we need to do it? Now, listen, you can have peace peace today. And I want to tell you, that's the good news of our Savior. And that's the good news of our gospel, Jesus. He gives you peace. And listen, you can walk out of here and you can have peace today. Our focal verse again today is John chapter 14, verse 27. We're going to look at some other verses in addition, but John chapter 14, verse 27. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. John 14, verse 27, Jesus is speaking. He says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Let me read that again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear me, Father, we come today and we just praise you. We thank you. What an opportunity to come and to, together and to worship the Prince of Peace, the giver of peace today. Lord, I pray as we go through tough stuff and I look around this room and Lord, there's tough stuff going on. I pray we would not worry. I pray we wouldn't be filled with anxiousness, that we would trust you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a peace the world can't even give us, can't even pretend to give us. And I pray the fruit of that is that you be known and you be glorified. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray, Lord, that it's a tremendous event. I pray, Lord, that it is a supernatural event. And I pray, Lord, that the living God of all things, of all creation, would speak to us in this room today through your word. Lord, change us today. Equip us today. Encourage us today. Lord, I pray if there's some and maybe several that are listening today that do not know you, that do not have peace. I pray that in the hearing of the gospel, the good news of a risen Savior, that today they might turn to you and receive you in faith, and in doing so, in your grace, be saved. Lord, we give you this hour. We ask that you move and work in it. We trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you remember, in our verse today, Jesus is preparing his disciples for life in his physical absence. And that's what's exactly going on there. He is preparing them for life in his physical absence. He is going to the cross. After the cross, he will see the resurrection. After the resurrection, he will have his ascension to heaven. And so these are some of his last words with his followers, with his disciples. Now, in this event, this close to the cross, he tells his followers, peace I leave with you. He is leaving, but peace I leave with you. Now, last week, 
we looked at the word for peace in the original language. It is very interesting. That word for peace means wholeness. It means harmony. It means all held together. Now, it literally translates all tied together. And that's, the, that's the, a great picture. That's the best picture. It is all tied together. Now, what that means is we are not coming undone. We are not frazzling out. We are holding it together. We are tied together in the peace of Jesus. Now, in the verse, Jesus makes sure that we understand it's not the world's version of peace. It's not the world's empty form of peace. You see, the world offers peace. It's not true peace. It's not lasting peace. It's not real peace. And so Jesus here kindly makes the distinction. The peace he is giving is not the peace of the world, but rather it is his peace. He gives us true peace, real peace. Now, the point to the verse is this. Believers, if Jesus gives us his peace, it only makes sense that we ought to have his peace. And we, that verse is an awesome verse. We can look at a whole lot of stuff we did last week. But I want to tell you the main point to it is this. If Jesus gives you his peace as believers, we are to have his peace. Now, what that is means is as believers, we're to live in peace. As believers, we're to walk in peace. We're to enjoy the peace of Jesus. Now, let me tell you something important right here. And it's not just about you. See, I want peace, and I love peace, and I long for peace, but I want to tell you, it's not just about you. When believers live in the absence of peace, which I look around and I see a lot of folks living that way. They respond like the world. They, they, they go and do the things of the world. They, they seek the answers, the remedies of the world. When, when believers live in the absence of peace, it reflects poorly on Jesus' promise of peace. Now, I want you to see that when we run around with the, like a chicken with our head cut off, and we say the sky is falling, and the sky is falling, and fear and anxiety overruns us, it reflects poorly on Jesus' promise of peace. It is a poor witness for a believer to live in the absence of peace. It's not just about us. I want to tell you, it is about us. I want peace. But it is a poor witness of Jesus when we live, when we walk in the absence of peace. Now, I want to tell you the good news once again is this. We can have it. And that's the point to that verse. He has given it to us. And I think we need to take that in. We need to understand that. We need to be resolved in that. He has given us his peace so we can have his peace. We can walk in it. We can live in it. Daily through the hard things of life, we can enjoy his peace. Some of the last words of Jesus, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Last week, we started our practical plan for living in peace. It's eight points. There's eight actual practical points 
uh, that we can take and, and take a hold of that will result in our living in peace. And so last week we started moving through the plan. Uh, the first step, the first practical step to living in peace is this. First, to have peace, you have to know the prince of peace. That's why this is first. That is why it is foundational. To have peace, you must know the prince of peace. Now listen to me. I'm going to just make clear here. There is no peace outside of Jesus. Well, what about this? And what about good deeds? And what about this system if we tweak it? What about in politics or government? There is no peace outside of Jesus. Now be sure it's not talking about knowing of Jesus, but it is talking about a saving faith, a saving trust in Jesus. Today, be very sure you will have no peace outside of a relationship with Jesus. And I watch the world and they're scrambling around, they're looking, and the answer is as simple as that. First off this, you will have no peace outside of a saving relationship by faith in Jesus. Second thing is this. This is where it becomes hard for us. This is where it becomes practical and application for us as well. Second thing is this, to have peace you have to walk with the giver of peace. To have peace, you have to walk with the giver of peace. Now, this is talking about leading a Christ-centered life, a Jesus-centered life. Jesus and his will and his word have to be the very true center of our life. Now, all that means is this. You will have no peace. You will not find peace outside of the will of Jesus. We think, you know what, I've been saved and he's going to forgive me of my sin, but I've got some grand ideas. I know what I'd like to do. I'll set the course of my life. And we march off and we try to live outside of the will of Jesus. You will not find peace living outside of the will of Jesus. Let me tell you this. We are either taking the direction of the world or we are taking the direction of Jesus, the leading of Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verse 33 says this, listen. These things I have spoken to you. Jesus says, these things I have taught you, I have told you. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. We are either taking the leading of the world, the direction of the world, or we're taking the leading, the direction of Jesus. Here's a good question. Why go back to a world that's marked by the absence of peace? And that's what makes no sense to me. That ought to make no sense to any of us. Why do we go back to a world and say, you know what, Jesus has given me peace. I've trusted him for my salvation, but I'm going to go back to a world, look to a world that is marked by the absence of peace. Let me ask you this. How's that working today? How's that working in our homes today? How's that working today, this, this week, in our schools? Why do we go back to a world marked by the absence of peace, trying to find peace? Here's the second thing. We have to walk with the giver of peace. We have to have a Christ-centered, Jesus-centered life. The third thing we saw last week is this. To have peace, we have to shut out 
what is opposed to peace. And that's what we saw last week. Just like poison, we cannot be taking in the thing or things that cannot coexist with the peace of Christ. And so if there are things that are opposite of the peace of Christ, antagonistic to the peace of Christ, in conflict with the peace of Christ, we cannot be consuming those things. We cannot be taking in those things. Maybe that's people in your life. There's some folks, it's okay. The Bible says that we need to shut out. Maybe it's music that you're listening to. Maybe it's the shows that we're watching. Anything that is in conflict with the peace of Christ, if we're going to live in peace, we have to shut out that thing. We have to be deliberate. We have to be intentional and cut out the things, shut out the things that are in conflict with peace. Listen to Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Listen to this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on those things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We have to shut out in our life the things that are in conflict with peace. That's the third step. That brings us to this fourth point. Now, (laughs) I wanted to cover this point last week. Time ran out. I wanted to cover this point last week. Maybe if I had, it would have impacted this week. Still ran out of time. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing is this. To have peace in life, hit the reset button and take Sundays back. To have peace in life, hit the reset button and take Sundays back. Now, remember last week I asked, do you really want to have peace? Do you really want to have peace? Have you had enough of the opposite yet? Well, these are some real things. And I'll just tell you, well, the things I'm going through, some of them are tough things, hard things. But the question is this, do you really want peace? More than how you're existing right now, more than the chaos and the drama and the trouble that marks your life right now, do you really want peace? To find peace, hit the reset button and take Sundays back. Go with me right here. Stay with me right here. See this. In the Old Testament, the primary day of worship was the Sabbath day. It was the seventh day of the week. It was the last day of the week. That was the primary day of worship for 24 hours, they would cease their labors, and they would put their focus on God. It was a day of worship. They rested in Him. Now, it was a training for the coming of Jesus. Well, understand, with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, He is our rest. Jesus is our rest. Salvation is in Him. We rest In him, we have nothing to do, nothing to impress God, no work that we have to do. 
Jesus is our rest. And so with the events of the gospel and the formation of the church, there is a change that takes place. And the Lord's Day, the first day of the week on our Sunday, it becomes the primary day of worship for believers gathered. Because on the first day of the week, the tomb was empty. Because on the first day of the week, we celebrate a risen Savior. The the first day of the week became known as the Lord's Day. Revelation chapter 1, you're reading there, John starts off and he says, and it was on the Lord's day that he was in the Spirit. It's a day, the first day of the week, the day they celebrate the resurrection. In the book of Acts, in Paul's other letters, we see the church is gathering on the first day of the week, on the Lord's day. We see the church in 1 Corinthians is taking an offering on the Lord's day. We see that there is communal eating and communal teaching of the word of God on the first day of the week, on the Lord's day. That is what happens. That's what becomes the reality in the forming church. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Verse 25. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice it says, and all the more. As the day draws near that Jesus is coming again, as the world gets tougher, as times get harder, all the more, not less, all the more, we're not to forsake our assembling together. He already says, as has become the practice of some. Are you with me right here? As believers, as followers of Jesus, we have set our day of worship, our gathered worship, our communal worship in celebration of the risen Savior on Sunday, the first day of the week. In celebration of the resurrection, we come and we've set the day that we communally come together as the first day of the week of as, as, as Sunday. And to have, listen to me, and to have peace today, we need to take Sunday back. And I'll just tell you, I never thought I'd be an old Baptist preacher preaching about church attendance, but here I am. To have the peace that God intends, we have to take Sunday back. I'm talking about the, the biblical example here. Today, we treat Sunday as the day to catch up on things that we missed in the week or things we didn't get enough of during the week. And so we come to Sunday, and and maybe we're getting a head start on the new week. Maybe we're finishing up last week, but we mow the yard on Sunday. And we come and we say, you know what, I'm going to rest and sleep on Sunday. You know what, I'm going to play sports. We can't get it in on the work days, but we're going to play on this day, and I'm going to play sports on this week. Or you know what, I'm going to go work on this day of the week. Or you know what, I'm going to seek out entertainment on this day of the week. And we do so at the sacrifice 
of the communal gathered worship of the church. And in doing that, and in doing so, we make this day like all of the other days of the week. We make this day no different than the other days of the week. Now, I want you to see this. And so we go, we go, and we do, and we go on this day. We, we try and catch up. We try to get ahead on this day. And we try to please ourselves on this day. And I want you to watch what it's doing to us. It is leaving us tired and worn out and misdirected and without peace in our lives. Well, I have an excuse. Well, listen, treating Sunday, the day of communal worship that we've set, as a regular day and missing the gathering of the church is leaving us tired and stressed out and anxious without peace like the rest of the world that we live in. Friends, be clear today. Gathering as the church, communal church worship is the plan of God. And in forsaking it, listen to me, you are out of the will of God and you are forfeiting the blessing of God that he intends. We have to take back Sundays. What I mean practically is this. The primary thing, the primary activity we are to undertake on this day, the Lord's Day, is the gathered worship of the church of Jesus Christ. I want to say that again. The primary activity that we are to undertake on this day is to be the communal gathered worship of the church of Jesus Christ. You can say, I hear it all the time. I've heard them all. You, you probably have too. You can say, I can worship at home. I can worship at home. I hear folks, I can worship at home. Friend, you can and you should. I hear folks say, you can worship. I worship on a ball field. Oh, the sun is out and the grass is green and I worship on a ball field. Listen, friend, you can and you should. Some folks say, I worship at the lake. I work all year, and that's my time. I worship at the lake. Friend, you can and you should. You say, you know what? I worship on my mower. I'm out there, and there's peace with God. Maybe I'm in the deer blind, and I worship there as well. Friend, you can and you should, but not while the church has assembled in the worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to me. This is the supernatural plan of God. This isn't my wisdom. This is his wisdom. This is the plan of God, and it brings peace. I think for the second week in a row, we've got to get the change of our mind that God's trying to punish us. He's got some strict thing that he's going to burden us with. This brings peace. It brings peace. Do not miss that. Do you want peace? Do you really want peace? Do you want it enough to do something about it? Now, let me tell you today three things that will happen when you commit to the gathered worship of the church on the Lord's Day. Listen, this, this is good news. I want to tell you three things that will happen when you commit to the gathered worship of the church on the Lord's Day. These are three things I promise you'll happen. 
First thing is this, and praise the Lord for this one. First thing is this, it will set the tone for the rest of the week. It will set the tone for the rest of the week. As we worship together, we are encouraged. As we worship together, we are uplifted. Folks, you can't, I'm going to tell you, you can't think about Jesus and you can't thank Jesus and you can't remember and praise Jesus and not be uplifted. I don't believe that. You can't come and fellowship and sing and hear from God in his word and not be uplifted. I promise you that. And when we meet in the gracious plan of God, we are filled with joy. We are renewed in our joy. That's what this process is. And all the day as the, as the, as the time of the day draws near and more so in the hard times, we are encouraged. We are filled with joy, renewed with joy as we meet as the church. It sets the tone for the week. I'm going to be honest with you. I've come into services of the church, I'm going to be honest with you, and I've been down. You know what? It's all I can do to get there. I get out of my bed on Sunday morning, and I think about this and that, and I think about somebody said something, somebody did something, and I, I'm low. But you know what? I get up, put my shoes on, take a shower, get going. I've been stressed out before the service of the church, walking into it. I've been worried even walking into the service of the church. I've been consumed and worried. Let me tell you this. You might be surprised to know this. I've had a terrible attitude coming into the service of the church before. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe you're better than me. But I've come into the service of the church, and I've been thinking, I, I don't like this, and I don't know about this, and I don't like how that's going. And I've had a terrible attitude coming into the service of the church before. But if I will turn my eyes to what is going on in the service of the church, listen to me, if I will turn my eyes into the fellowship of believers, if I will turn my eyes into the singing of praises, if I will turn my eyes into the word of Jesus that we're about to hear, I want to tell you this, I can't stay there for very long. And I've come into the church, service of the church and I've been in a terrible mind frame, but I can't stay there for long and it's not long and something starts to get a hold of me and it's not long and something starts to change in my attitude, something starts to change in my mind, it's not long and I start saying, he has made me glad, he has made me glad, I will rejoice for he has made me glad and my heart begins to pick up and my countenance begins to pick up and my attitude begins to change, he has made me glad, he has made me glad, I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I want to tell you, that's one of the functions of the church. It sets the tone for the week. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Some of y'all can't afford to miss church. <laughs> Evening service too, and we might need to add a service. <laughs> it fills you with joy. It fills you with joy. You know what the rest of the week's going to be? The rest of the week's going to be getting kicked while you're down, getting pulled down, getting bad news. You need to set the tone on the first day of the week. First thing that happens, it sets the tone for the week. Second thing that happens, 
when you commit to the gathered worship of the church, second thing that happens is this. It will declare the priority of the rest of the week. When you commit to the gathered worship of the church, it will declare the priority of the rest of the week. Here's the deal. Our problem in life is a conflict of priorities. And that's our basic problem. Is the priority going to be myself? Is the priority going to be the priority of the world? Or is the priority the things of God and the worship of our Savior, Jesus? And that's the struggle of life. That's the problem of life. Every day we have to answer that question. In fact, over and over again throughout the course of the day, we have to answer that question. What is the priority of this hour going to be? Is it going to be myself? Is it going to be my Savior, Jesus? What is the, what is the priority of this decision going to be? Is it going to be the things of the world or is it going to be the things of Jesus? Well, listen to me. When you set the priority up front on the first day of the week, listen, to be committed to the gathered worship of Christ, you are saying this is the priority. When you set up front the first day of the week, your commitment to the gathered worship of the church, you're saying the worship of God is my priority. You're saying praising God and praising Jesus that is my priority. And you are declaring that. You are declaring that. You are declaring in your life, Jesus is first when you commit to the gathered worship of the church. Now, there's a lot of other things that go on, but that's what you're declaring. You know what for me? Jesus is first. Be very sure, parents and grandparents... Eyes are watching you, and more than that, they are weighing you. Do the words of my parents match their actions? And you may not know it, but they're watching. They're watching on Sunday morning. They're watching on Sunday afternoon. They're weighing it out. They're watching. Do the words that my parents say match their actions? Today... Statistics show us, listen to this, that over 70% of kids raised in evangelical homes, one of the statistics I saw said as high as almost 80%, over 70% of kids raised in evangelical homes will leave the church within five years of leaving those homes. Seven out of 10 kids, listen, not lost kids, Seven out of 10 kids that were raised in a Christian home in an evangelical home that professed Christ are leaving the church. They're leaving the church within five years of leaving the home they were raised in. That's happening. Do you understand that? That is happening. Be sure. As your kids watch your walk of life, if you are faced with a choice between the things of the world and church attendance, and if you predominantly choose the things of the world, your testimony is that the things of the world are more important. And your kids are going to take your testimony as true.
they're going to believe you. If there's a conflict between the thing of the world and the thing of the church, church attendance, and if you consistently choose the thing of the world, your kids are seeing in your action the things of the world hold more value. They will believe you. Well, this was our only day. Well, God understands. Well, we had this thing to do. Well, it's just for a season, just for a summer. Folks, they are watching and they are weighing your actions. Let me tell you, the lost world is too. Your neighbors are as well. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Joshua, at the end of the conquest of the promised land, says, Choose for yourselves whom you will serve. Listen, that's the matter. Choose for yourselves whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's more than a Mardell's bumper sticker. That's more than a thing to knit and put on your wall. Listen, that's the plan of your life. That's the product of your life. And when the things of the world are in conflict with the meeting of the church, we're not going to forsake the assembling together as the word of God has told us. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Committing to the assembled, gathered worship of the church sets the tone for the week, declares the priority of the week, And the third thing is this, establishes the pattern for the week. It sets the tone for the week. It declares the priority of the week. The third thing is this, it establishes the pattern for the week. If the first day of the week, not the last, is given to worship, is dedicated to worship, The priority is declared, yes, but more than that, see this, this is very practical, the pattern is also set. Now, the priority is declared, but now the pattern is set. Now, see why this is different. See this. We are people of patterns. We are people of repetition, meaning we are creatures of habit. That's who we are. We do what we know. You ever notice that? We go back and we do the thing we know. We do what we've already done. That's how we are, creatures of habit. That is why getting in a bad pattern, whatever that pattern is, is a bad thing. It's a hard thing to overcome. Well, I want you to understand today, when we start the week in worship, we are setting the pattern for the very course of the week to come. And I'll just tell you, it's easier to worship on Monday when you've worshiped on Sunday. And I'll tell you, it's a lot harder to worship on Monday if you didn't worship on Sunday. I'll just tell you, it's easier to worship on Tuesday when the unexpected thing pops up when you worshiped on Sunday. You didn't know that was going to happen on Sunday. I'll just tell you, it is normal to worship on Thursday when you're faced with hard things, when the pattern has been set and you worshiped on Sunday. Friends, listen to me. It is not a duty. It's not a thing to do. It's not a check on a list. It is us coming and seeing our Savior and drawing close to Jesus and hearing his voice and his word. Do you understand that's what's happening? And worshiping him. That's what this meeting is about. We are worshiping Jesus. We are exalting Jesus, the one that is worthy of all praise. We are exalting Jesus. And that will become the pattern for our week. 
to have peace, hit the reset button and take back Sunday. Now that's where we're going to stop today. The fifth point's better than this one. <laughs> we're just going to keep going. But I want to end like this. Friends, do not hear legalism in this. And I already know some will bristle up and say, well, a bunch of rules. I've had all the rules. Don't hear legalism in this. And don't hear condemnation in this. And don't leave here beat up today because of this. Here's what I want to tell you. Hear God's grace in it. See God's kindness in it. Feel his love in this. Listen, he loves you and he has peace for you and he gives it to you. Do you see the world hates that? The world wants to rob that away. The world wants to deceive you from that. I want you to see in this not condemnation, see the grace of Jesus in this. This is a kind and good thing. So I'm going to end with the same question. Do you want peace? Let me tell you today about a God that is so gracious that he sends his only begotten son Sins his only begotten son that you'd have peace. Let me tell you about a Savior today so loving that he comes at the cost of self. He goes to the cross of Calvary, listen, so that you'd have peace with God, peace with others, peace in your heart. Let me tell you about a Savior that loves you that much. Takes a death, even death on a cross, the Bible says, for you and for me that we'd have peace. Let me tell you today about a, a salvation so amazing that though we've rebelled against God, though we've sinned against God, though we've turned against him, let me tell you about a salvation that by, by the grace of God and faith in Jesus ends with us dressed in the righteousness of Jesus, standing in the presence of Jesus in peace forevermore. I want to tell you, friend, that's our gospel. That's the good news. By faith in Jesus, there is peace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Bring Father, we come, we praise you today. We thank you today. I praise we've heard your words that we don't rear up, (coughs) that it doesn't strike a rebellious chord in us, but we'd understand you want us to have peace. You want us to sleep in peace and walk in peace and laugh and love in peace. And so you tell us how. You give us your peace. Lord, I pray that we would embrace it. I pray that we would enjoy it. I pray that we would grow in it. And then I pray that there would be a witness to others in that, that we're not a worried, scrambling, anxious people, but we're a peace-filled people. And our answer is their answer, Jesus. Lord, I, I pray it would be a great witness to you. Lord, as we conclude this service, I pray for those here who do not know you, maybe listening in some other way. Lord, I pray that any barrier to their hearing will be removed, any distraction to the truth will be removed. And I pray that today they would hear of love and grace and kindness and peace in a risen Savior. Lord, I pray that you would move and you would work in their hearts. Lord, I come and I pray for those that have trusted you, that know you, that we're living 
as the world would prompt us to live and would lead us to live and our peace has been robbed away. I pray in the last couple weeks as we hear this news, your word, I pray that our hearts are turning to you and they're growing in peace and there's fruit in that. Lord, I pray for some here today that are struggling in the absence of peace, whatever the reason. Pray, Lord, that they would hear your truth and it would matter today. And then, Lord, I come and I say, I thank you that come what may, that I can say we have peace in Jesus. I thank you for that. I praise you for that. Lord, I pray that you move and work in this time of invitation. We trust it to you. And I pray in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. And it truly is, I say it every time, but I truly believe it's the most important time of this service, a time to respond to the truth of God's preached word. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, trust him today. He'll save you today. He'll forgive you today. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, let's take care of that today. If you need more information on that, you come. Let's talk it through. Let me show you what the Word of God says, and let's settle that today. Maybe you're here, and you've trusted in Christ, but you've never fought in believer's baptism. What a, what a great testimony to be able to come and say, you know what? I, I walk with Christ, and this is what I believe of Christ. And you come, and we'll set a day of celebration of testimony showing what we believe of our Savior through the testimony of baptism. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you believe God has led you here. You come as well. Together we'll uphold his word, preach his good news until he comes back for us. Maybe you want to come and as we go through this series, you'd say, you know what? I don't have peace, not like that, not like Christ intends. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about or head for an exit. You pray for those that are making decisions. We'll be done shortly in just a moment. You pray for those that are making decisions. If God is speaking to you, if he's spoken to you, you step out and you come on. As we stand and sing, you step out. You come on, I'll meet you here.